This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. on Ram Dass's Be Here Now Network, where I speak with women about their personal experience on the spiritual path. My name is Melanie, and I'm very excited to share the next podcast guest with you, Mukti, a teacher from Open Gate Sangha, who I found through her husband Adyashanti's teachings and have become a huge fan of, of Mukti, as well as specifically uh, her book, A Self in Full Bloom. It's an audio book. And um, I was really excited to get a chance to get on her schedule and have some time with her. And I have to admit that I feel like I was a bit out of my league because the transmission and the teachings that she was giving me through our interview were so profound for me in the experience of of receiving them, I feel like I maybe fumbled a bit in my questioning and my responses because I was so engaged in listening to the wisdom of what she was saying and and really receiving the teachings from her. So I hope that you can do that as well, that you can have that experience in listening back to our conversation um, of tuning in deeply to what she had to share and what she had to offer. Um, I want to let you know, too, that I've started a Patreon page for the Shakti Hour where I'm leaving uh, some recorded meditations, some reflections, uh, deeper reflections from me on some of the podcasts, uh, some chants, and uh, other special things where we can engage a little bit more deeply with some of the insights and topics that are coming up uh, through this series here on the network. And um, it's a great interface, I find, just for being able to have posts and conversations kind of specific to the Shakti Hour. And you can engage... um, at no cost with the majority of the things, or you can also sign on as a patron at different levels and receive special monthly rewards for doing so. You can also go to the Shakti Hour page at BeHereNowNetwork.com and you'll find there the links to uh, Mukti's website and all of her upcoming offerings. 
And you can also please remember to subscribe to the Shakti Hour on iTunes. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, you can leave us a positive review. Thanks so much for listening. And now please enjoy uh, this talk with Mukti. So I'm here uh, today with Mukti, um, and I'm here to talk with her about uh, some of the non-dual uh, teachings that she's a part of, and just to explore um, being present and and finding a way into the inner world um, through the feminine with a female voice, and also just in the harmony of the wholeness that uh, contemplative practice and and inquiry practice can bring. And so, Mukti, thank you so much again for for being here with me to share in that. Mm-hmm. And um, I wonder if you might just share with the audience a little bit about your your personal evolution spiritually. I know um, I know a bit about it with you studying Yogananda and in Chinese uh, healing and yoga practice and then moving on to studying with Adyashanti. But maybe you could give us just a little background of, of your own evolution in as a spiritual seeker. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Um, well, more of the historical background you, you've just given. Um, the only addition I might make is that I was uh, born into a, a Catholic family, Irish Catholic family. And um, so I was kind of part of a larger tribe of, of many, many folks who were of that tradition. And I went through Catholic schooling from uh, for all my education through university and until I studied Chinese medicine. And um, But at a young age, my father became interested in Yogananda's teachings. I was about seven. So I was exposed to those teachings also in tandem with my uh, Catholic upbringing. So, um, so part of the evolution came from, you know, having a sense of something greater than myself, a sense of being in service to God, a sense of a devotional practice, a practice of service, which was was uh, very much emphasized both in the type of Catholicism I was brought up in as well as Yogananda's teachings and also uh, to develop a, an inner an inner life, a contemplative life. And so when I came across uh, Chinese medicine and also simultaneously about the same time I met Adya, I started uh, having some more input into my spiritual context. And and I think that Chinese medicine really opened in with, within me a capacity to uh, bring my awareness to a more kinesthetic level on the level of touch and feel mm. and to trust my intuition. and But also um, a medicine that is also founded in observation and um, actual... Um, um, indicators for diagnosing patterns and the way energy might move or or um, become stuck. And I think that um, 
this kind of tactile kinesthetic um, awareness developed in that that also um, helped me when I was studying with Adya open to a sense of awareness of the world um, as it exists apart from the overlay of thought or emotion. And that was a big emphasis of Adya is, is was to really sense, you know, what is it that's aware uh, of our experience that's, um, that's ever present. Mm. And so uh, I think it took the evolution part. I think it took a sense of God outside of myself or, or within my heart into a, a specific kind of sensing of, of spirit, you could say, as the eyes of awareness. Or um, maybe in, in Christian Catholicism, they might say like the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Or mm. Just gave me a, a different sense and actually enriched my understanding of the traditions that I'd come from of Yogananda's teachings or Catholicism. It just gave them another dimension that... Um, that felt like it was really founded in direct experience of, of the mystery of what we are um, that's prior to any dogma or doctrine or, or any kind of uh, belief structure that I had been exposed to in my earlier tradition. So I was kind of peeling that off and, and stripping away those parts of um, my spirituality so I could look underneath them or to sense something more essential hmm. as in the expression of awareness and the mystery of what we are and how that's that's uh, sensed immediately and directly hmm. I'm getting the sense as you're sharing your story of this real um, very rich spiritual fabric kind of that was laid at a found and the foundation in your in your life with Catholicism being a very rich tradition of ritual and 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 you know depth and then to add to that the yogananda mm -hmm, mm -hmm. teachings and this 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 fabric and this textures and this layering the simultaneous layering of it and then the stripping away and and i know mm -hmm. in um uh, a self in bloom that uh, audiobook of yours that I really love is that um, you mentioned what something that was very interesting to me about your story is that you uh, and Adya were a pair before he began teaching and you talk yeah. about that moment uh, you tell the story of the moment on the way to his first talk can you give that us a little bit about that moment? I'm see, I'm seeing it coming out of this fabric, so maybe you could share from that point. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, well, when Audio was asked to teach by his teacher, and um, we arranged for a, a place that he could hold a meeting, a kind of a meeting space. We were we were driving to that the first night that he was going going to be teaching and I realized that I didn't have a clear sense of of where I would fit in to the evening as far as um, I hadn't really been a person of the Zen tradition 
tradition that he came from and that his teacher was from. Um, I had been to a few Zen meetings, maybe a handful, uh, just to get a sense of his tradition. But uh, I didn't really know a lot about it or about how he would go about it, given that, you know, we weren't going to a Zen temple or to something well-established. And so I thought, wow, you know, I, what, what part will I play? And, and as I mentioned, I'd kind of come from a, a training of being of service. And um, so my, my first thought was, you know, how can I help? How can I help support this evening? And so, and so that's what I asked him as we were driving in the car. You know, I said, um, you know, what, what would you like me to How would you like me to show up? How can I be of support and help tonight? And he just got quiet, and it was it was a real pregnant pause that he he gave and expressed, um, which was a bit unusual. I don't I didn't know that I had ever quite seen him pause with such intent and deep deep quietude, hmm. and then um, he simply said. Just be yourself. And if you can hear this, you know, each of us listening, if, if you can just hear this, this pointer, just be yourself. Just be yourself. Then you can get a sense of my first teaching uh, from Adya as my teacher. You know, I hadn't considered him my teacher before that, but in that moment, it just occurred. And I realized that this was one of the pointers of my life. Did, and, did um, that, that idea, it, it, sorry, did that yeah. idea of, a, of a, a partner being a teacher, you know, beyond the yoga of relationship, beyond the, the grist for the mill of any you know, intimate relationship. Had that occurred to you before of working with your partner as guru, as teacher, as guide? Never. It never had even occurred to me. Yeah, and even in that moment, it actually didn't occur to me, believe it or not. It's right. only in hindsight that I realized that that was um, the moment he became my teacher, I feel like. Um and it's so profound. I mean, it is not a, it's not a, it, you know, for, for me, the, when I hear that initially, there's a lot of ego noise around it. Like, well, what, how do I present myself or who am I really? Like, it's not the, the depth that it hit you at <laughs> in that moment, yeah. you know, it's not necessarily, you know, um, my first reaction to that yes. request. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a little bit about that. I think many of us have heard the phrase, hey, just be yourself, you know, many times in our life. And I think that there's moments where we hear things and there's moments when we we just really deeply uh, let something in. He would deeply digest them, and they just land in a totally different way, even though they're the exact same, you know, set of string of words. Hmm. And I think it was because of 
of the transmission and the silence and the emphasis from which they came. Hmm. It just carried this um, this energy that even the pregnant pause just carried this mm-hmm. energy of this is he's about to say is something to really deeply listen to. And then in, in that space of receptivity, it just got in. But I have to say that even as it got in and I knew that it was absolutely like revolutionary even though the words were very ordinary Hmm. my mind did kind of like a couple minutes later register what was happening and it was a mix of things that i was registering you know at some level i was like just elated like wow what freedom what permission wow and almost at the same time was also this feeling of like what the hell is that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, how do I be myself? Like, I don't, I don't even know if I actually know what that is to be mm. myself. Like, a hundred percent, just mm. be myself. Not supposed to be, you know, like, mm. like helping them out tonight. Not, you know, being a hostess or, mm. you know, not being a participant. Or, I mean, not that those roles won't happen. But at an essential level, to put being myself first and foremost before all other doings and roles and um, ideas, I just thought, wow, like, I actually don't even know what that is. <laughs> and that's why it was great teaching because it opened this inquiry of, gosh, what is it to be authentically and genuinely what I actually am? And the excitement of that opened in me, even mm. though I uh, I didn't even know what it is. But that's what's so fantastic about the mystery of what we are, is mm. that um, it's absolutely unknowable, and yet we want to know it. Mm. And, um, and so it's, it opens us to a certain order of knowing mm. that's not in mind. You know, uh, I mean, it's not all together the same. I'm sorry. The um, the I just see that moment also for all of us. You know, the for all of us that have followed the the evolution of the teachings from both of you, that that moment really was this. It feels to me like this moment of opening into this whole new path. You know, he was going to give his first talk, and you were opening into this. Mm-hmm. embodiment of basically the teaching, you know, for us, you know, opening that whole thing, uh, for all of us who have then come to, you know, listen and study and, and bask in that process. That's one yeah. thing that comes up for me. And I love these little mo. I love how these moments are there, you know, in the flow of the energy of life and, and uh, how we can see them more and more as we practice. But I'm curious about, mm-hmm. yes. and that was what, ni- nine, in the 90s? Sometime in the 90s, right? So That was in 96, yeah, fall of 96. Okay, so there's been some time. So <laughs> can you maybe give a little uh, picture of the path of your understanding of that? I mean, now you offer the, the teaching so clearly as what that is, but can you remember how that unfolded for you 
over time from then until till now? I, I'd be happy to talk about that. Is there any um, kind of particular vein you'd like me to speak in, or um, you know, I mean, like, let's see. I guess, I guess in that, I guess actually, what I'm really curious about is then in in the relationship. So, your relation. Not only did your relationship to yourself change in that moment, but it also shifted in your relationship to your partner. And so I'm curious maybe mm -hmm. how that unfolded in relationship as you move forward. Is that helpful to give more of a through line? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's helpful. I'm not, I'll have to do my best to make it relevant as well because, you know, not everybody in the audience is, you know, married to their teacher. So I don't, I could, I could speak to that a little bit, but I want to make it really relevant for people. Um, but so I do, do think best. that people go on, I do think that anyone in a, in a partnership or in any relationship, when you have your own spiritual awakening, that does affect how you are relating to, <laughs> to your partner and yes. that evolution. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, well said. Mm -hmm. And that, that would be the point of relevancy too, to, to, um, uh, well, I'd say that um, I'll just kind of maybe cover this in a couple different ways so it may seem like at first I'm not answering the question about relationship, but I think at, at, at the relationship uh, with myself to this pointer, you know, just be yourself. I think um, what was wonderful about that is as I opened to Ajahn's teachings that evening and in you know the 20 years after that, I still listened to his teachings. You know, I feel that um, he was giving the, the lay of the land, the, some context for my mind and my whole being to enter this arena of what is it, it is to awaken to our nature as awareness. Mm. And and we could say awareness as as spirit that you know takes um, takes the expression of presence and um, and moves in our life. And so, even though I had some um, context for that already, he was laying it in a new way. And so as I was, as really becoming curious about how consciousness expresses through the light of awareness, how it perceives the world and um, sensing presence, I was also in tandem questioning about my sense of who I am personally hmm. because of this pointer, just be yourself. So... It was kind of this wonderful pairing of what is it to be an authentic human being and also what is it to be an expression of spirit. And so I had these two side by side the all along, I think, at some level as I was hearing his teachings. And he would in, include, you know, the human aspect into his teachings, but he also was especially in his early teachings, was placing a big emphasis on um, 
discovering who is it that's living this life? What is it that's looking out your eyes? What is it that knows that you exist or that you're here? And just really, really driving home um, this initial um, foundation for one's life is why don't we, instead of concentrating on what we do and, you know, what, what, what to engage in, might we ask who and what is it that is engaging hmm. and, and is uh, informing doing. Hmm. And so I have this kind of um, pairing, as I said, as I was looking inside, what, what am I really? Like, what is it to be myself? To be myself, I have to know what I am. And so I, I this is kind of where the, the sense of the two met, the, meaning the two, knowing myself as spirit, but knowing what it is to be a genuine human being. They met it with the question, um, who is living this life? And so, um, or, or, or what is it that's living this life, if, if you prefer that question. And so I, that's been the, the main uh, hub of these, you know, 20 years is, is just that, that is the, um, the, the question that at a certain point became very um, pivotal for me when I, when I recognized that his pointer of ego or illusionary self is defined by movement of grasping and aversion. You know, grasping for what we want, pushing away what we don't want, you know, defense, op- offense, defense. And and so when I took up the inquiry question, what is stillness, I, that was leading me to a sensing into that which is not defined by grasping and aversion. Hmm. And that really opened the doorway for me to um, kind of resetting of my whole being in stillness. To where it was almost like rebooting a computer where all the software programs, you know, go offline. You know, everything that has been input as mm. far as like how, how we know ourselves and our history and our past and our conditioning. It all kind of went offline in stillness. And then I had this reboot, which we could call an awakening. And it's as though none of the programs were operating yet. And I was just the essential instrument you know, of life. Mm. Uh, And so in that moment, I realized that, oh, this is what I am that is prior to ideas and definitions and, you know, that's, that's empty of, of all the comings and goings uh, of time, history and future. It's empty of all that. It doesn't Mm. reference time, doesn't reference you know, a space because it's not moving to know itself here or there. It's just very still. Hmm. And so I got sense of, of who and what we are that is um, that is prior to, to these constructs. And, um, and in that moment, there was a recognition. And, and yet, you know, some of the programs came back online. Some didn't, some never really came back, but many of the programs came back online and I became almost a hybrid of who I was before that moment and 
who I was, who I was in that moment, meaning mm. um, I had a sense of myself as the infinite that is not bound by definitions of time or space. You could say our nature is the infinite or as eternity. Um, and yet I had, I still had the same kind of um, remembrance of history and, and uh, patterning and many things uh, reappear. But then the question, uh, what am I, uh, take, took on a little different um, tone. Because I was looking at the question in light of everything, every program that was kind of coming back online. Am I, is this really what I am or is it authentic to engage in this? Um, does it feel genuine or true? And could it be um, an ad, like a program to express through, um, but perhaps in a different way that feels more genuine and authentic? And, and so the what am I question took took um, action more in relationship, right? Relationship to um, avenues of expression or conditioning, you could say. Um, and then that came into play with relationship with others, right? So, you know, when I have certain patterns relating to others, and this is now the other layer that you were getting to, you know, how does uh, how do I know what feels true and resonant with with um, uh, a kind of alignment within myself that's not prone to grasping or pushing away, but but re resides in a greater sense of stillness and alignment? And how might I move in relationship? that supports that alignment and expression of this essential um, sort of signature that, that took up resonance in me of spirit, which was more of a, a, a transmission of stillness. So um, you know, different people kind of have different flavors of spirit or expressions of spirit, but that was kind of the, the, um, the hallmark for me that I continue to come back to. And so um, this isn't a static kind of stillness. It's just a stillness that that is more free from grasping and aversion. Hmm. And so, but it doesn't mean it doesn't move or it can't express. Um, and so that was really um, my touchstone for when things might go, you know, cattywampus and relating or, you know, kind of go awry or, or there might be a triggering within myself, I would have to really shine the still light of awareness that, that we all can look through and into these patterns. And for me, I was very kinesthetic at this point, so I'd drop into my body and just really attune and listen and sense and feel patterns and until I could kind of um, tease them out and see what in them had wisdom and what in them had um, reactivity or illusion and confusion and try to parse it all out and then align with what was most true and and um, essentially try to liberate and catch up the parts of myself that that were operating out of great misunderstanding or lack of clarity to almost like mm. um, transmute those or free them mm. from from that, those worldviews and perspectives and kind of free up that energy so that it could 
could move in a more healthy way. Mm. So that's what I did in relationships of all sorts. And in partnership, um, it was pretty similar for me. Uh, I think for me, and this may relate to your interest in women, um, I can't say that I'm like all women, but I know I'm like many women in that there were still in my generation more, um, kind of more influence of having the man be the, the, you know, the leader in, in the, in the, in the outer world, at least if, if not, if like one may have came, came from a patriarchal family or matriarchal family, but kind of in society, you know, it has been more, um, patriarchal, at least in the in United States. And so with this kind of conditioning, I had kind of learned through modeling to, to be a support person or kind of be more in the background mm-hmm. and um, to really be in service to my man, you know, or my partner. And so um, I think what happened in awakening was I, some of those structures fell away and um, at least they were suspended for a while. So when they came back online, I really had to look at how I would um, take kind of maybe be in the background more. And I had to challenge myself to um, allow spirit to, to move the way it was um, responding to all of life around me and to join in that and not hang back. And so um, I think that changed in our relationship, my my relationship with Adi and I more. Um, And I still have a lot of the traditional in me. I just happen to be a makeup or an incarnation that really suits well to that, but it doesn't define me in the same way. So I can, you know, I can be very independent and, you know, step out of that, that support role and, and, you know, step forward. And I, but I can also step back and, and be more of a support person. And I'm pretty fluid in that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas some, some people maybe in their expression, they would just recognize that, Oh, that that's kind of not their, what their incarnation's about. You know, maybe it's more, you know, stepping forward and, and being a leader um, more full time. Yeah, but, but the key, key to that being the, the authenticity that your question, how is, what's the authentic way for spirit to express itself in this moment? And, and it's not just a casting off of, of everything because it's old or because it's conditioned. <laughs> it's a clearing away to have, have the authentic vision, have the space for that to then take shape. And mm-hmm. that could be, yeah, I'll take that yeah, back. Thanks. I'll take that back. And that's done. And I love the way that you were describing that. And for those of you that are just listening, the, the visual really, there was hand gestures and showing the, the parting of the curtains and the moving away of certain things. And, and um, it's just a, it's a beautiful arc, a, a beautiful arc, the way that you just shared that. Is there, there was another segment you wanted to, to get to. So, so I don't know actually exactly where to go. I, there's, you know, 20 years is a long time. <laughs> and I have to say that 
Adi and I are pretty unusual, I think. Uh, who knows, really? But I, I believe so from all the, the people I've talked to in that there's that segment of our lives where the two of us are in um, partnership. It's probably the easiest segment of our entire lives. Huh. You know, so he and I are happen to be exceedingly compatible and um, we're quite different, but we're very compatible. And um, so we haven't had a lot of working out of things in our marriage. And um, so I know that people just love to hear like how our relationship changed <laughs> a lot, you know, after my awakening or his for that matter. And, and um, there wasn't a lot of change. And I mm -hmm. think it's because of, you know, who we were when we came to the, to the relationship. And, and I think I could say this, that I was greatly influenced by Yogananda's teachings on spiritual marriage. Mm -hmm. And um, in his teachings, he, he really spoke about all the different ways that people can meet in partnership. You know, some people have shared hobbies or interests or um, shared degree of intellect and smarts. And, you know, some people connect in a more um, physical chemistry level. Um, there's so many different ways that people attract, but he, Yogananda felt that for spiritual marriage, people really had to meet at the, a place of a, a shared intention for their spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And that's really where Adi and I met. And I think it's because I set that for sure. And I think he did at some level too, as, um, hmm. as like the pivotal criteria for a marriage that we would enter into. And so um, I think that that really set this tone that, and also because of the traditions we came from, you know, we learned how to be in service. So marriage was being in service to each other and in service to the relationship and being more conscious. And, you know, like from Christianity, it would be more Christ-like or, you know, um, maybe from more of an Advaita perspective it would, or Zen perspective, it would be more conscious. And so because that was what we were organized around, I think that um, it really informed the harmony of our marriage. And especially because we also were people that really were trained that when things came up in ourselves, you take it inside, you take it to your meditation cushion, mm. you, um, you know, you address your own issues and um, it's not that we didn't talk about some things together because we did, but I don't think we had a tendency to put things that went awry off on one another. You know, we always um, were had just a basic interest in what is our part in this? How can we support relating together? So that was true before either of us even had awakenings. Right. And so um, it, I think awakening just enhances what, whatever's there. Um, right. It's the, the shining of the light on that or the slowing down. This, the idea of stillness, when you're still, it's clear what's happening. <laughs> or the shining of the light, it, it highlights yeah. what's already happening. So, so those transformations that, that can occur in relationship are, yeah, you're, you're seeing more clearly what's already there. But to that idea, I mean, that's, thank you for sharing that. And I, and I just, um, and I do, I really appreciate your, uh, 
your honesty about your own, you know, makeup and, and holding that as, you know, what is true for you and authentic for you. And in holding that authenticity, mm -hmm. it's strong. And I, and I think that, um, mm -hmm. that, uh, oh, there's so much that comes up, <laughs> but, um, Maybe you could speak a little bit more to you. You talked about the intention that you both brought to the to marriage, and you speak a lot about intention in spiritual practice as well. And um, I'm curious about how um, how you relate to intention in this in this moment. I know that there's a, there's a well, it's kind I, of a buzzword at this time, you know, having an intention, setting your intention and da 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 da. But how does it how does it flow for you in the moment? Right now? Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, or in any moment. In any um, any moment uh, as it, you know, yeah. Why don't I share how what the intention was for the marriage because it might might be helpful. Okay. Um when I was uh, listening to this, these teachings of Yogananda's on spiritual marriage, he, he mentioned an intention that I really resonated with. And Yogananda said, uh, the, the purpose of spiritual marriage is so that in his day and age, they spoke of husband and wife, you know, it could be, you know, partner and partner. But in his day and age, they said husband and wife. So he said, the purpose is that, um, each person in the marriage discovers that the one, meaning capital O, like you could say God, but he said that the one in my husband or life, and oh, sorry, my mm -hmm. one, the one in my husband's life is the same one in all of life. Hmm. So uh, just to kind of recognize hmm. spirit deeply one person and then to discover that that is the spirit in all of life hmm. you know and so this is kind of what, the intention that I took I never necessarily boiled my intention for my marriage down into a sentence before I got married but I know that that statement of Yogananda's um, really hit home with me and I thought that is it. This is the course of my life. Hmm. Like my marriage will be this arena where it might be, I, I might be particularly devoted to knowing, you know, spirit and my partner. But it, it, that is only kind of one entry point for this interest in, in knowing spirit hmm. everywhere. And that's the, um, you know, that's truly the bhakti everything. tradition too. You know, the bhakti tradition that I come from with Ramdas is, you know, seeing love in the other, seeing God in the other, you know. Yeah, I think that um, my intention the way I would present it has changed over the years and it can even change in a given hour, or a given day. But I, I feel that essentially now um, my intention is kind of wordless, but it is, it is pretty kinesthetic for me. 
Hmm. It's like it's it's people talk about aligning with an intention. Hmm. And for me, it's now more of just like a sense of alignment energetically. Hmm. So. Um, can you speak to what that feels way, like or how what that can you speak to what yeah, that feels yeah, like? If... <laughs> yeah, I think that at least for, for myself, um, and I think this is true of many people, but I have a lot of training in as you know, background in Chinese medicine, but I have a training in Qigong, Tai Chi, and you know, there's this energy pole that they speak of the Tai Chi pole that runs from the crown of the head down through the center of the body in front of the spine, you know, um, down, and it's this vertical axis. And, and um, through also through all my years of meditating on the Hara Center, which is, you know, in the lower abdomen area, um, it's an energy center there. Uh, sometimes I call it the gateway to stillness. Hmm. There's this sense that I have of this kind of energetic alignment and um, this ballast in the hara. And it's kind of like, um, I don't know if some of you remember those blow-up clowns that we had when we were young, <laughs> kind of in the shape of a bowl. Hmm. And you, you could punch them down and then the clown would pop back up. But there was a way that this clown would kind of move like this, and then it would come back into alignment straight up. Well, that's sort of how I feel inside some most of the time where, you know, I'll kind of know like, oh, life's leaning this way or it's leaning that way. But I can kind of come back, you know, to center like this. But if, if I get like a kink, you know, like, ooh, that doesn't feel right or that feels off or ooh, that, that, that misses the mark or hey, that's right on the mark, or that really resonates. It, I kind of register it in this um, in this energy body. And so pretty much my nonverbal intention is just how do I, how do I be in harmony with this alignment which seems to serve being in harmony with the whole. So. And so... I do want to ask you then more about this ex exploration of the masculine and feminine, because I know you do, you talk about it. And, and um, I want to ask about that in terms of that kind of alignment and how you, how you relate feminine and masculine principle, or I don't know what, I don't know what to call it, <laughs> you know, to that idea of, of finding that balance and alignment. Yes. Well, I think in general, um, you know, if we were to speak of the yin and the yang, you know, the yin being the feminine principle, yang being the masculine, um, I think it's this, this kind of blending of, you know, open receptivity, which is often more trusting, more, more kind of relaxed. Um, and we blend that feminine principle with the masculine expression, which is more of strength and, um, you know, precision and um, uh, it's it's more directed. It's it's uh, more dynamic, more fiery, and um, so I think that this balance is is a balance of both. You know, it's very much being here. I am present. You know, I am engaged, which is young, right? Mm -hmm. And it's more vertical. Um, and it's awake and it's, you know, ready, you know, but it's also 
yin, which is I'm listening, I'm receiving, I'm, you know, um, available, I'm fluid, I'm, you know, I can um, and um, be, you know, malleable and appropriate, you know, to the moment. And it's it's this blend because, if, so, you know, when we have too much of one without the other, then um, then we, we're not getting really addressing things in a whole way. Hmm. Within each personality, like within my personality, I tend to, you know, go more yin or or be more yin than yang. But there's certainly moments where, you know, I'm definitely more in a yang mode or expressing in, in a more really direct or even fierce sometimes way. Uh, but it's it's not really my natural mode to, you know, really be, you know, really on and, you know, rigid all, uh, not rigid, but um, energized all the time. But um, is but yeah, that something yeah, that your relationship to those two, your relationship to those two aspects, did that change through this awakening time when you were asking be about being yourself? Did your relationship to those aspects yes. shift? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the biggest shift was at the beginning. Um, I think that I, I had some notion that awakening would sort of come to me, mm-hmm. uh, almost as though there was a God outside of myself that would um, somehow grant me awakening. And so I think I was very much in a spirituality of listening, being very receptive, very faith-based. Uh, I was just happened to be a more trusting person, you know, kind of a great trust in God and life. And Adya uh, is a very young expression. You know, he especially came from a path of will and hard work and tremendous amounts of meditating and discipline. And, um, questioning, you know, really delving into things. Hmm. And uh, I could feel in him that this was a person who, you know, was not hanging back and waiting for something to happen. Hmm. And I, I could really feel by his example, like, wow, I, um, I need to be 100% all in with this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not applying myself as much as I could. And um, so that was the mm. biggest shift. And um, it, it actually was facilitated even more when I, um, when Adya actually at one point thought we might enjoy going or might be meaningful to go see Gangaji, who's another teacher. And I ended up speaking to Gangaji short, shortly thereafter in a small group meeting. And she really recognized this in me. And mm. she really was was basically gave me the message of you've got to get on with it honey get on with it get off the fence you know you're hanging back and um the way her energy came into me it was with such fire and fierceness that it really lit a fire in me Hmm. and i had to really um bring in that yang energy and and um take my own spirituality by the reins and, and really delve in and look at 
you know, what is it that I've been um, assuming and believing will happen or not happen? And, and, you know, what's the cost of that? And, you know, what, what do I need to just sort of filter out as not helping? And, you know, what beliefs or um, practices or notions, you know, am I going to try to um, keep that I feel may be more true than illusionary? And, and so what, which really ones helpful. did you kind of grab onto in that moment? Or what, what, how did the young then kind of take foot? Yeah. Um, well, I was definitely influenced heavily by Adya, whose, whose real um, rally call was you know, truth. Mm. You know, so is this true? Um, you know, can I know that this is true? Um, and I think that, the biggest moment of that for me was um, when I asked myself, uh, is, it, is it true that awakening is possible hmm. for, for, for me? Like I could see it in Gangaji, I could see it in Adya, but I wanted to know, like, is, is it actually hmm. possible for me? Hmm. And I think that uh, what I came to inside was probably a good blending of yin and yang um, if we think of truth as, as a little bit more young, like the stark reality of things that type, I mean, truth is so many more things than that, but I came to this moment of real sobriety, um, mm. but it was also a kind of surrender, which we might think of as yin. And what I came to was, you know, I don't know what this life will be for me. I don't know if awakening will come to pass. Um, but I do know that my deepest desire is to accept the life that I'm given and to live it to the fullest. So however spirituality goes or however deep my understanding goes, I will step into that and I will embrace that and I will be grateful for that gift. If it goes as far as, you know, awakening, so be it. If it doesn't, so be it. And what was beautiful about that moment was that I could feel in myself that that alignment with whatever it is felt like it was maybe even a more important gift than whatever this awakening thing might be. <laughs> Yeah, I can feel that here just in hearing I, the story. I feel that in that empowerment, that ownership, that stepping into that wholeness of the moment. I'm feeling that just from hearing this story from you. I'm I'm in, I'm empowered <laughs> just hearing that story. Yeah. And in a sense, looking back, it's not so different than awakening or or the embodiment of awakening, because it is all about aligning with what is and stepping into that and and being um, being present in that. Hmm. And so I didn't know that then, hmm. but in a sense, that wisdom came from enlightened expression. And so regardless of whether or not we have a moment of awakening or a big shift, we can we can be operating from the deepest thing within us, which is aligning with our um, 
enlightenment and wisdom. Did you have any grief in that moment when you were transmitted the fire of, did you, was there any sense of grief around uh, surrendering that receptive faith-based trusting whole thing? Maybe it, it sounds like it was quite a transmission, so maybe not. You mean surrendering the the idea that I might not awaken? No, I mean the the one the one mode of being, the way of being uh, receptive and faith based and trusting I think I and yeah. I know that I surrendered. I think it, surrender was an expression of that, right? But I think it it married it married a mm. kind of um, clarity, mm. uh, which was more, more young. Hmm. It, it joined with a kind of clarity and hmm. clear, clear seeing that, oh, I don't know. That's the most truthful thing I can say. Hmm. I don't know how this will be. Hmm. And um, and yet I'm going to step into it anyway, which was also you know, kind of a more active, yeah. um, young. Courageous, willing so to I take a risk. To, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was more of a transformation and an integration than a than a letting go of. Yeah. Yeah. I I have so so many more things I want to touch with you, but we've been for a while, but there's two things I want to get to quickly, if I can, with you is I just, there's some, there was a talk that you gave a, a bit ago and forgive me for not knowing which one it is, but you're talking about the paradigm of being that is not me centered. And you mm-hmm. asked this question, what in my experience is free of wanting right now? And I just, in this moment, in this cultural moment, in this, in our country, where there's so much division and, and polarity, I just love this question. <laughs> what, that it, what is, is there in my being that is not me centered as a spiritual directive? Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, I don't remember the talk you're referring to because there's so many different ways to speak to this, but what comes to me now is that um, it feels like this definition that I mentioned earlier that when I heard Adya speak of ego as grasping and aversion, Hmm. um, I think that that's a great entry point to this question because um, if we take the definition of me, it can mean so many things, but, but the kind of me that tends to breed suffering is this, this habit of grasping and aversion. You know, grasping and aversion is, is going to be part of our experience no matter what, no matter what degree of realization. It's just, it's a movement of life. You know, we know when something resonates and we know when it doesn't. But when we identify with that, and it concretizes as um, solidifying this identity of a me that has an investment um, in uh, entrenching itself in what it's pushing against or grasping for such that all the energy is, is um, contained in that and not free to see other possibilities, hmm. then we have suffering. And um, hmm. 
And so I feel like the the question of you know what is it to to know who we are that's not me centered um, and to to sense what it is to be and live that is I think um, something that we can feel our way to by sensing what what is outside of grasping and aversion so we as a simple really simple exercise we can just if we can get to the point of observing Mm. that we're you know that we're pushing or that we're we're pulling or straining Mm. um you know even just in our posture you know as we Mm. walk down the street Mm. or you know as we sit here with our shoulders you know or whatever it might be we can just notice where there's grasping or where there's pushing away and when we're we're recognize that there's something outside of that that's noticing it we can rest into what's looking or what's mm. observing it and we sense oh this is not defined by grasping and aversion at all so that's one entry point mm. uh, to get a feel or a taste of that which is not defined by grasping and aversion but we could also, you know, maybe look from our, the eyes of our heart and just sort of be aware of our heart and, um, you know, listen from our heart and perceive the world from our heart. And we can feel that the heart doesn't take sides, you know, hmm. that um, there might be parts of our human heart that are holding to certain things or, hmm. you know, um, very much attached to certain things but there's also this kind of soft heart of spirit that that really is very unconditional Mm. and it's it's not um it doesn't have a storyline about what should or shouldn't be it's showing up for the whole thing Mm. um and also you know as as this sense of just being where it drops down into you know the heart center it's it's um it can reach a point of just being very anchored there and very still. It it's um, there's it can even open to that which is unmoving, even when our human experience has preferences or wants or, or dislikes. You know, there's some part of us that that is is always never okay. You know, that's that's um, that can be known in the midst of that. And uh, so, you know, I go into these things in more depth in in other talks, you know, that I more than I could go into now. But yeah, but these are just uh, general sketches. Yeah, those are those were really helpful, and I think you gave us really three kind of specific ways that could, could come into that that practice of. Um, a paradigm of being that is not me centered and, mm-hmm. and to the, and to the idea of attach attachment, the grasping and, and just, I love the idea of back to your, uh, the clown, the blow up clown <laughs> analogy of just sensing into that center point. And, and you can feel even like you said in your body, how your posture is mm-hmm. leaning towards Mm-hmm. the desire for things yeah. to be one way or another versus sensing into the center mm-hmm. and knowing, knowing all is whole. 
Mm-hmm. So I have asked all of my guests to um, offer a specific piece of advice to women and girls on the spiritual path. I offer that to you now mm-hmm. if something comes mm-hmm. to mind. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, I think that there's an important question that we have to ask uh, all of us, uh, men and women, but I think it's it's more than time for for women to uh, bring it forward. And I think it's a question of um, where does power live within us? Hmm. And I think that society and um, the collective has its way of um, presenting how power looks uh, culturally and um, there's a way that power is uh, wielded that's not effective and um, it may seem strong but it's not founded in in um, things that are sustainable and um, serving well-being. Hmm. And so I think that it's, it's, a, it's, a huge, it's a hugely important inquiry question for us, hmm. is what is a power that is, is truly effective? Hmm. And uh, how do we sense that power from within ourselves? And for myself, I feel like... Um, I've taken a page, you know, from martial arts or um, disciplines where, or yoga, where, where this hara center, this lower um, energy center, just below the navel, is um, is developed to give us a, a very specific access to a, a universal power that can be resident in our own instrument, and I think that that power, the more it's cultivated, the more it is available as an energy that can inform our expression and just, it can rise up and respond and rectify when things are off. And um, I think a lot of times uh, women fear their, their internal power because we have been encouraged to express it in to the same degree that men have. And so I think that it's, uh, it's valuable to really rest in our being and settle into ourselves so that all the energy that's uh, extended into things that, that are um, extraneous and really not so important that it can, it can be freed up and return home so that we can be more self-possessed uh, and self-resourced and energy can settle in our relaxation of being downward, like with gravity, and really settle into a sense of gravitas that, that um, can be at the ready for, 
or when um, we're responding to to life or when we're, we're initiating some things that are very very important. That would be my. That's that's fantastic, and just in the the benefit of this role that I am playing as podcast host is that I get to experience that transmission of that teaching in the moment, and then uh, and then pass it on to everyone who's listening. But I really got lost actually in the, in that rooting into that center in myself and what a relief that is to have that mm-hmm. access to that and um that mm-hmm. weighted that gravitas like you said that weight and also just to love that you offered that question to all of us like what what is what is power of what is the where are we sourcing power what did you say do you remember yeah is that it <laughs> you said it right at the beginning when you started that's very close it's something like um you know, what, what's our a sense of uh, authentic, authentic power that's not, that's within us? Yeah. That um, it's not something uh, that we take in from the outside, according to, you know, societal messages or media or, or, or even the, the patriarchal model. Um, it, it's, it's a discovery. It's, that's the question is what is it mm. to discover? our own authentic power and our seed of power. Mm. Um, and it's, it's actually not truly even ours in a really personal way. It's what is it to know power um, and the seed of power so that we can be instruments for that. Mm. Yeah, I spoke with a, an author, Terry Tempest Williams. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work. But she spoke about power, not a power over, but a power with. And we're, you're, you're bringing it to power, the power within, and then the power through. <laughs> so that, that awakening to, yes. to that, yeah. And um, I just want to encourage everybody to uh, go to mukdsource.org and find find the beautiful catalog of all of the recordings of Mukti's teachings. Uh, we'll have links to all of that on the Shakti Hour page at BeHereNowNetwork.com, uh, links to, to purchase those and to find find out more about her offerings. And you do have lots of uh, satsangs and some silent retreats coming up over the next year. I know um, several in California and and I even noticed you're going to be in England in in the summer, which will be, if you happen to be listening from the UK, you can catch <laughs> Mukti there uh, in August. And, um, <laughs> and I thank you so much, Mukti. I really could talk to you for, for several hours, but um, uh, maybe we can speak again at a further date. But uh, I really appreciate your time, and I really appreciate your attention um, and sharing of your own experience and the teachings. Thank you, Melanie, and thank you as well for the role you're taking and uh, for inviting me here today. And um, just want to end with one last phrase because you were talking about this um, power with, power in, power um, through. 
I, I think what, what could cap it nicely is a sense of what I'm speaking of is the power of the whole. Hmm. So um, I think it could be a, a, a very beautiful um, balm or salve for um, the power of division. Hmm. So, um, so that'll be just sort of my rally, rally call at the end here. Is for the power of the whole. The power of the whole. <laughs> I, I really love that. Thank you so much again, Mukti. <laughs> okay. Blessings to everybody. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.